Welcome to Youth Ministry Small Church, a podcast with the most obvious mission statement in iTunes. We're here to help equip youth workers and small churches to do ministry that makes the big churches jealous. Most small church youth workers have to balance a lot of concerns. They're almost certainly not full-time, so what do they do with their limited hours? Well, usually they deal with the most pressing need. The most pressing need is to make sure that youth group meetings happen. And because of that, making youth group meetings happen and making lessons happen, that's often the thing that eats up most of our time, because it can eat up a lot of time. But if we try to focus on the important things and not the pressing things... There are probably other things that are at least as important. Time spent talking to youth, for example. It's hard to show up to lacrosse games if you're spending your time writing a lesson. Or it's time to it's hard to get smoothies with your youth if you're out mapping out what youth group's going to be this week. At the same time, last week we emphasized the importance of teaching well. And dear Lord, did that ever sound hard. How do you get all of that done in a few hours a week if you only have a few hours a week to give to the youth program? Today we interviewed Jen Bradbury, and she suggests that the answer is pretty simple. Curriculum. I gotta be honest, for a long time I did not like the idea of curriculum, and I did not like the curriculum that I was aware of. Um, Over time I have come to realize that uh, I probably needed to start using curriculum a lot earlier than I did. In fact, I probably should have been using curriculum from day one. Uh, While Jen is making her case... She also discusses how to use curriculum well, how to adapt it to your youth program, and what expectations you should have when you're evaluating curriculum. Before we get to Jen, though, I've got an announcement. We've started a Facebook group for Youth Ministry Small Church. I'm a member of a few helpful youth ministry groups on Facebook, but none of them are dedicated to youth workers and small churches. I've been thinking about something Terry Linhart said in the last episode. It's important to find a group of people who can be your tribe in about two different ways. For many of us, the fact that we're in a small church is such an important part of how we do ministry that being able to connect to other small church youth workers would be super helpful. I hope the Facebook group can grow into something that's helpful for all of us. So here's how to use that group. First, notice that Youth Ministry Small Church has a Facebook page, but also a Facebook group. The group is designed for discussions. It's designed for you to post about successes, questions, and problems that you're wrestling with. Over time, lots of other youth workers will be there to chime in with their perspectives. And that is extremely helpful. So go find our Youth Ministry Small Church Facebook group. It will be helpful to you if if you put a little time into it. It can be really transformative in your youth ministry. And before we turn to Jen, let's hear from our sponsor this week, Inalienable. It's important to me to give my youth a valuable mission experience, one that makes a real difference. That's why every year I partner with a nonprofit called Inalienable that's doing fantastic work with the migrant community in Baja, California. Baja 2018 is an opportunity for your students to see real injustice and be part of the solution. In the past, I've struggled with short-term mission trips that don't truly change lives and seem to teach young people that service is all about themselves. But that never happens with Inalienable. 
Because Inalienable has real relationships with the community, my youth develop real relationships with the community. My youth actually do work that actually impacts other people. My youth learn the value of actually living for others. I've taken my youth group with Inalienable Missions for three years now, and we're going again this summer. During Baja 2018, we will implement projects that identify local assets and close the gaps that separate the migrant community from local resources. When resources become accessible, the invisible become visible. Learn more and register at www.inalienable.life and like them on Facebook. Uh, hi, everybody. I want to introduce you to Jennifer Bradbury. Jennifer, in fact, Jennifer, why don't I just let you introduce yourself? Can you tell us about your experience in youth ministry, your church, things like that? Sure. It's good to be talking with everybody today. So I have been in youth ministry for 15 years now in three different contexts. So I started in a mainline congregation and was there for a little over a year and then moved to a multi-site, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church um, and was there for five years and then came back into the mainline tradition and have been in my current church, which is an ELCA congregation, pretty traditional uh, for the last nine years. So I've been around the block and seen a few things and really love what I get to do in ministry with young people. What um, Can you tell us about your current church? What's the youth group like? Uh, things like that? Absolutely. So uh, my youth group is, I'm responsible primarily for high school students. And so I work with, you know, ninth through 12th graders and we meet twice a week. So we meet on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and we have uh, a very discussion oriented meeting. So it's not your traditional youth worship service where I get up and give a talk. Uh, and one of the things that I think really distinguishes our ministry is that we also have a team of student leaders who is really responsible for both creating a culture of welcome within our ministry, but also for helping to decide what we're going to talk about. So it's never that I'm sitting in a room going, hey, what do I think these teenagers want to talk about this week? It's always that my teens are bringing me stuff and saying this is what we care about, uh, which keeps us relevant in a way that I think really matters to kids. That's pretty interesting. How do you, uh, how do you organize that? <laughs> that's a loaded question. It is a loaded so, question. And in fact, I think you wrote an entire book on it. So maybe I, that's the I right did answer. Indeed. <laughs> uh, but the short version is that kids apply uh, to be part of our student leadership team uh, the year before. And then we spend all summer doing some leadership training and discipleship training. And then they meet weekly during the year. So we do a little bit of evaluation every week. We do a little bit of leadership development and a little bit of planning each week. So these are highly, highly invested kids uh, in our ministry. And it is so fun to, to be in ministry with them, to genuinely see kids get involved and excited about what we're doing. Uh, but it's also so challenging to be in ministry with the teenagers and to let them have ownership. Yeah. You, um, while we're talking about that, let's talk about um, this book that you just wrote. You've written three books so far, if I understand I have. right. Yep. But there's the most recent one is on this topic, unleashing the hidden potential of your student leaders. Yep, it sure is. So that's uh, with Abingdon Press, and it came out this past spring, so in April of 2017. Uh, and it's I <laughs> was super excited when I was writing it because I think it's a really unique blend of theology uh, with also practical helps. Like I'm someone who cares deeply about theology, 
but I'm also still in the trenches. I work every day in a church. Uh, and so in some ways, my kids are my laboratory and I get to see these things lived out. Uh, so the book takes you through both background on what is student leadership and introduces the idea of student leadership as discipleship. Uh, and then moves into some really practical pieces of, of what does that look like and how can it transform both the kids who are student leaders, but also your ministry and your congregation as a whole. I was interviewing um, a guy named Tyler Jarvis, who's down outside of Dallas-Fort Worth the other day for for this podcast, actually. And he was talking about the way he invests in a few students and I don't think it's as organized as what you're talking about, but it seems like he invests in a few students through like a rock climbing. He does a lot of rock mm-hmm. climbing with students. Mm-hmm. And then he finds that they go back and they invest so much more in the. Yeah, absolutely. Like once kids have a model for what that can actually look like and for what it means to be a servant leader. So to combat all the ideas that, you know, leadership is about power and that it's about being the captain of your football team or field hockey team or whatever. It's about being in charge. Uh, And instead to reframe that into it's one-on-one and it's being with people and it's making people feel welcome and it's loving people uh, in the same way that Jesus loves us, I think is so totally transformational for everybody who's touched by it. Um, In some ways, I feel like it's almost a, a waste to ask you to talk about curriculum but <laughs> because you've got all these other great things you're doing, but you have written really well about curriculum in a few blog posts. Um, uh, we can put links to a couple of those in the show notes. Great. Um, yeah, I found two. Are there more? There are three. There are three. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to look for that third one. Series. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's get into it. So uh, just as a reminder, we want to do like an introduction to the basic use of curriculum, this first series of Youth Ministry Small Church for season is all about the basics of youth ministry. So with that said, um, how much should your average youth leader in, let's say, uh, the average 80-person church use curriculum in a year? That is a great question, uh, and my view on that is probably pretty different than other people's. Okay. So I think you should use curriculum most, if not all the time, in that setting, uh, especially if you are a newbie to youth ministry. And there's lots of different reasons for it. Uh, w- one of the biggest ones is the idea of time, uh, just that I think youth workers have a tendency to think that they can do it um, and do something And it ends up taking way more time than you actually think it will. And so there's the question of what's the best stewardship of my time as a pastor? Is it sitting in an office writing curriculum by myself or is it actually being with kids? Uh, And so I think curriculum can give us a great advantage in terms of freeing up time to actually go and be with kids, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's showing up at a game, leading a small group, person-to-person stuff. Um, I also think that there's a really interesting piece of youth workers uh, that, and I myself was one of these, uh, where we're just kind of an arrogant bunch yeah. who think that we can do it better than anyone else. Yeah, that was and, me. <laughs> and that was definitely me, especially in my first couple years, uh, which ironically were the years that I lo- knew the least about youth ministry. Uh, and so I think there's this sense of like, I'm going to write my own curriculum because I can do it better than any curriculum that's out there. 
but that's not always true. Uh, yes, there are some bad curriculums out there. I am the first to acknowledge that not all curriculums are created equal. But at the same time, I think that curriculums that are done well, those are done by a team of people who keep each other accountable. They're done by people who have a ton of expertise in both youth ministry, but also in theology to be able to balance those pieces. And so even if you don't end up using all of a curriculum as it's written, um, I think there are still lots of advantages to being ready and willing to go seek out what are some of the materials that are already being done and then to use those in your ministry. Yeah, I think what you're saying about time has I've really experienced that personally. This last year is the first year I've used curriculum extensively. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I've got like most of a week free. <laughs> and uh, we're teaching a lot more consistently. Yep. And um, it, I'm a lot more empowered to empower uh, small group leaders. Absolutely. Um, right. And and they know that there's a curriculum that's ready for them and they're ready to go. And it every, just everybody feels a lot more at ease. Absolutely. Yeah, because and of the not time only, thing. And not only are you <clears throat> able to empower other people, but I think you're able to equip them better. Because I know in my pattern, when I'm trying to write a curriculum myself, it's maybe two days in advance before I get stuff to my leaders. Right. Uh, and lucky. so then, right, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so then they have very little time to prep it themselves. Uh, whereas if you're using a curriculum, even if you're tweaking it, uh, you know, that really makes a difference in terms of how far in advance you can get stuff to the other people who are working with you and leading with you um, and allow them to win and to succeed in their ministry. Um, so you mentioned the time issue. Um, are there other reasons that you think your average youth worker should be using curriculum most of the year? Absolutely. Uh, so the time thing is a big one. I think uh, curriculum done well tends to be more creative than the average person who's writing it themselves. Right, and right. so whether it's exposing you to different things, whether it's a video clip or an activity, um, but things that you probably wouldn't have thought of by yourself. Um, and when you get those creative elements in what you're doing, it enables you to minister to different types of teenagers, uh, which I think is a huge gift. I think there's also an accountability that comes with using curriculum so if I'm sitting in my office writing my own curriculum, um, who's to say that what I'm writing isn't heresy? Yeah. Uh, like there's no checks and balances in that system, at least in my context. I don't have to show what I'm using to a senior pastor or someone above me. Like they trust that part of my ministry to me. Uh, whereas when you're using a pre-purchased curriculum, there's a whole team of people who's done that. And especially if it's through an actual publishing house, there's people who have reviewed that and made sure this is in line with uh, this tradition or with scripture or with, with whatever sort of bar is being set. Uh, so I think that that is a really big one as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great one. Yeah. Yep. I got nothing to add, <laughs> I, but I, those are great points. <laughs> um, so when youth leaders go looking at curriculum, maybe this is a good time to ask, where uh, where would you start? So you mentioned a few. Yeah, I'll just stop asking <laughs> the question nine times and just let you answer. All right. So where would I start? So I sure. think that that's a big thing. So I think most people who work in a denominational setting 
start with their denominational publishing house. So, you know, if you're in a Methodist church, you're going to go to Cokesbury first. If you're in a Lutheran church, you're going to go to Augsburg, Augsburg Fortress. Um, and those are good, but I think those aren't the only places that we should be looking for curriculum. Uh, so some of my favorite current sites for curriculum, in addition to those, and I use both Augsburg and Abingdon resources all the time. Um, but I also think uh, the Youth Cartel has some really interesting online curriculum that you can get uh, in their Viva series, uh, and it's all downloadable and it's easily modifiable. And similar, I think Download Youth Ministry is another blog site uh, that also has a lot of curriculum that you can go and you can search topically, which is also really nice. Um, so that if you have the sense of, oh, I want to teach about X on a given date, uh, rather than trying to just do a blanket Google search, uh, you know, you can go into these specific sites and look for that topic. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are some of the go-to places that I use. Okay. So when you, so I think that's interesting. You had said that in your group, you will um, often let the youth pick the topic, mm -hmm. which especially if you're using curriculum means you have to go find curriculum that gets you 80% of the way there. It. Yeah, okay. exactly. So uh, and so, so I think there's two different ways of looking at curriculum. You can okay. go and look at something and say, oh, gosh, this really intrigues me. And so I'm going to do, uh, you know, to use an example from Cokesbury, I'm going to do the Fathom series and just go all the way through that. Uh, but I think in situations like mine, where you have a topical idea or the kids are saying, we want to talk about suicide, and then we want to talk about sex, and then we want to talk about world religions. Uh, that those kind of curriculums don't always work, although they can uh, be tweaked again to do that. Uh, and so sometimes going and actually finding something that, oh, here's a curriculum on racism, and I happen to be talking about racism, so I'm going to use that, uh, can be really helpful. Okay. Okay. So um, when, let's say, a, let's say a youth director finds, finds some curriculum, what 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 are reasonable expectations? Maybe this is a better way to ask. What are reasonable expectations for a curriculum as they're looking for the curriculum? Yeah, that's, again, a great question. Um, and I think that was one of the things that really was difficult for me in my first year is that I just didn't even know what a curriculum should have. Uh, and so it was sort of like, I don't know how to evaluate this in any way. Um, so for me, things that I look for in curriculums is I want to see a scriptural tie-in. Uh, that's a primary objective in my ministry is that every week we're engaging scripture, regardless of what topic we're actually talking about. Uh, so, you know, there are some great discussion starters out there if you just Google stuff, but they don't necessarily tie into scripture. And so for me, those would not cut it. Uh, for me, I also not only want it to tie into scripture, but I want it to tie directly to Jesus. So looking for some sort of Jesus gospel framework, regardless of what we're talking about. If we're talking about an Old Testament story, I still want it to connect the dots to the New Testament story. Okay. So that's another piece. Um, I think especially if you are in a mainline tradition, it also becomes really important to look for a curriculum that's in line with your tradition's theology. Uh, and so, you know, I'm in a pretty progressive setting at the moment. And so uh, that's going to eliminate a lot of curriculums for me uh, because they don't fit that framework. Uh, because I do discussion oriented uh, youth gatherings, that's another piece for me. So I want to look for curriculum that's not just written as here's your sermon and 
somebody else is going to give it now, but rather as here are some discussion questions you can work through uh, with your kids. Now, again, with all of that, like you can make tweaks to curriculum, but those are the starting points that I use when I'm trying to evaluate and say, is this going to be a framework that I can use for whatever I'm doing? Okay. So you're, it sounds like you're asking theological questions and practical, practical questions. Yep. And there's a few things that sort of straddle that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things that I think straddles that is what's my goal in this lesson and who do I want my students to become as a result of having been a part of this meeting, gathering topic, whatever you want to phrase it as. Uh, And so looking at curriculum through that lens too of, uh, is this going to move the move the ring towards that? Um, okay, so so let's say you've picked a curriculum. What are what are reasonable expectations for what you're going to have to tweak? <laughs> How things like that? Okay, so what I would say is that you are never going to be able to use a curriculum as is. Okay. Having said that, I think you will always save time by using a curriculum. So. Um, again, the key is to find a minimally uh, curriculum that you have to tweak minimally, et cetera. Um, so some of the things that I think is reasonable to expect to have to do is to uh, adjust the timing. So there's sort of a, a bar that's maybe out there. I would say a 90-minute session is kind of a bar for a lot of curriculum. Um, but in my context, uh, you know, my Sunday morning gatherings are 60 minutes. They're one hour. And so I almost always have to cut stuff and to figure out how do I make this work in my time setting. Uh, Same if I'm using a small group curriculum, Uh, I often have to either uh, reduce or in some cases add, depending on what my uh, small group setting is for that week or that unit or whatever I'm doing that uh, in that space. Uh, I think changing the format. So, you know, even though I said that I look for discussion oriented curriculum, I've also found, and this was especially true when I was new in ministry, uh, that even using a curriculum that's really written for a youth service, so it includes, you know, a talk and a fill in the blank kind of stuff, uh, even that can be really helpful in reducing time because it at least gives you a starting point. It gives you kind of an anchor of here's how someone else did this, here's the scripture passages they used. Um, And so, You might be able to use something like that and then just adjust the format instead of writing it as a sermon, write it as a discussion or vice versa. Something that comes to you as a discussion, you can then use and make a talk if you're in a setting where you give a talk every week. Um, You are always going to have to contextualize theology. And what's interesting about this, I think that uh, sometimes we think that if we buy from our denominations publishing house, that we won't have to do that at all. Um, but in my experience, you still have to do that. Even if I'm buying from Augsburg Fortress, my, my church is a unique church. And so I still have to take what they have and spin it according to here's how we would talk about this. Um, and sometimes it's a language issue and sometimes it's a pastoral issue. So our pastors just teach it differently or maybe even disagree. Uh, and I think there's space in those conversations to be able to acknowledge that and say that. But again, to to tweak it to match where you are. Um, I think it can also be really helpful to piece together uh, different curriculums. So sometimes, you know, if I'm doing a topical series on, say, sex, um, 
you know, I might have five different things that I'm actually pulling from and using pieces. And so together then making my pieces fit for my group. Okay. So, uh, so, you know, that was a lot of work. It sounds like, (laughs) uh, but you still stand by the idea that curriculum ultimately saves, saves most people time. I do still stand by the idea that curriculum saves most people time because I think you're almost starting in the halfway point if you use a curriculum, even if you're doing all the tweaking. And what I mean by that is that if you're writing a curriculum from scratch, you're not only doing the practical, here's what it looks like to do this, meaning, you know, your talk, your discussion questions, the video clips, all of that. But you're also, or you should be, uh, if you're not, Uh, doing some research into the theological piece of that. So you're reading some commentaries about the scripture passage that you're studying. Uh, You're going deeper into it. So you're still doing a lot of, I don't want to say grunt work, (laughs) because it's all meaningful work, and it feeds us as youth workers too, and I get that. Um, But it takes a lot longer to comb a commentary about a passage and then be able to think about it in the way that a teenager would think about it and relate it to something that's relevant for today um, than to take something that's already done those first few steps and then just do the last bit of tweaking. Yeah. And I think, and I think for a lot of small churches, a lot of those steps, the youth director's paid, if he's paid, he or she is paid at all, <laughs> you know, so they wind up skipping a lot of these steps because they've got Absolutely. 10 hours to do 30 hours of work. So yep. even if you, if, if the other perspective is that it might just up your game pretty dramatically to oh, with, instead of without a doubt. Um, and again, like I go back to just the idea that curriculums that are out there are, there's a lot of work that goes into them, both in the writing piece, but they're also usually field tested. So there's also this idea that somebody has used this and done it and then it's been tweaked again. Uh, and so I think you can take your game from a C game to an A game by using curriculum, even if you are making some tweaks. And I also think the tweaks I said, you know, you might do one of those tweaks and not all of them for oh, a, given, that's true. a given week, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it depends on what you're teaching and what you're pulling from. And so it's not like I'm going to necessarily go through and do each of those as steps, but more of like, here are some of the ways that I can modify a curriculum to get it to work. Uh, hey, Jennifer, what are some of your favorite resources for youth ministry? Mm, great question. Um, so I, again, two I've mentioned already. I love what Youth Cartel and DYM, Download Youth Ministry, are doing. Um, I also love the cost of them, uh, which, you know, curriculum can be really expensive. And especially in a small church, I know that that can be cost prohibitive. And so I think there are some advantages of being able to grab a downloadable curriculum for five bucks uh, and you have it and you can use it with your people and copy it and print out as many copies as you need. Um, So I love those too. I also really like um, the source for youth ministry, which is uh actually a free website uh, that Jonathan McKee runs. uh, And there's all sorts of ideas and games, but also also, again, topics and discussion starters and lots of video clip kind of stuff that you can pull from there. Um, 
I also, you know, I'm a blogger, so I pay attention to other people's blogs. Uh, so I like, I like listening and reading, uh, and doing those kind of things. So, um, some of my favorites in that area. So I've already alluded to a couple of them. I'm actually pulling up my feeder to just do a quick skim here. Um, I also like YM Sidekick. Uh, it's one of my kind of go-to resources. Uh, Heather Lee Campbell is one of my favorite bloggers right now. I think she's got some great ideas and some good theology. Um, I love the stuff that Stephanie Caro puts out, yeah, especially... So especially in terms of a small church context. Um, Brad Fiscus is another one that's small church wise, like that's a name you should know and resources by him are fantastic. Um, I also really do like the stuff that Cokesbury slash youth ministry partners are putting out. Um, so they have a series right now called fathom um, and they have a series right now called core. Uh, and so those are, um, those are, curriculums that you would want to get and essentially have a book for each person in your, uh, in your youth group. So it's a little bit more expensive, but the content is really great. Yeah. I used the fathom. I just used one month for, um, advent this past year and I thought it was great. I was yep. really stoked with it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Favorite blog. Okay. All right. Um, before we go, you, we talked about your most recent book, you wrote another book that I think is worth at least mentioning for a few minutes. Um, oh my gosh, I lost the title. The Jesus Gap? <laughs> yep, you is got it. Right? Yeah, what's, what's that about? Uh, so the Jesus Gap is about what high school students believe about Jesus. And so where this came from is that I was getting a master's. And in the course of that master's, I had to essentially write a research-based thesis uh, and in a class that I had taken on Christology, so again, what people believe about Jesus, the theology of Jesus, we had had to do a really small scale project where we simply interviewed the kids in our ministry to find out what they believed about Jesus. Uh, and when I did this with the kids in my ministry, I had been in my context for three years, and so I thought I knew what they were going to say. And instead, I sat down with teenager after teenager after teenager uh, and was appalled by what they had to say. Um, they didn't, they lacked a basic understanding of who Jesus was and what he did. And most of all, why it mattered. Uh, like they could spit back, well, somebody told me he died for my sins, but I don't understand what that means. Uh, and that's what they tell me again and again and again. And so as I kept hearing this, I kept thinking, either I'm a really bad youth worker, which is entirely possible, or there's more to this and this is happening in more places. Uh, and because in that same grad school program, I had been exposed to some of the other research, uh, the Sticky Faith stuff by Fuller, uh, the National Study of Youth and Religion out of Notre Dame with Chris Smith. Uh, none of those were about Christology, but they all sort of pointed to this idea that maybe our teens don't have a very strong belief in Jesus. Uh, and so then for that thesis project, I decided to go after this question of what do high school teens believe about Jesus? Uh, so I traveled around the country. I visited four different churches. Uh, I interviewed senior pastors, associate pastors, youth pastors, adult leaders, parents, as well as teenagers in their youth groups, uh, and also sat in on either a church worship service or uh, in the youth ministry itself to hear how things were being taught and how Jesus was being discussed. Um, and then I did a fairly big survey, so 360-some people uh, in the survey of high school students, 
and so the results of that became the book, The Jesus Gap. And so The Jesus Gap walks through, here's what our teens do and don't believe about Jesus, and then also talks about what do we do about that. Um, in most of our cases, we find that teens don't believe what we hope they believe about Jesus. So what does that mean for the type of ministry that we create? Uh, and how do we talk about Jesus? And how does that make a difference in the lives of our kids, both now and later? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've really appreciated it. It seems like it. We try and talk about discipleship a lot on this uh, podcast, and it seems like it helps give you a baseline and key you into things that your youth are probably thinking, and then you can decide what needs to be done beyond that uh, for discipleship. But but you've even Absolutely. got some some insights into that too. And yeah, and that's the hope that it both kind of gives a starting point, but then also triggers the imagination of youth workers to say, oh, I've heard that in my context. And so here are some things that I can do with that or about that. And um, again, what it means to up our collective Christology, to make it better, to make teens know Jesus more. Um, because as youth workers, we believe that that matters fundamentally, right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And without him, our faith collapses. There's no point. Um, and yet our kids don't get that. They think that Jesus is a ticket to the afterlife and not very relevant for now. Um, and so helping them to see that Jesus gives us hope and meaning and purpose. Um, and Jesus compels us to go to talk to the kid who's, you know, sitting alone at the lunch table. Um, so like all of those kind of pieces are woven into that. Great. Uh, Hey, Jennifer, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, yes. So I blog at ymgen.com, um, and I blog at some other sites as well. So Youth Ministry Partners and Download Youth Ministry. Um, but those are all kind of uh, put together on aggregated onto my blog. And then I'm also on Twitter at ymgen. At ymgen. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for your time. I think this is really helpful. <coughs> Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Jen brings up a few great points about curriculum. First, curriculum helps you save time. However, it doesn't save you all the time. It cuts down on the time you spend developing a lesson if your baseline is writing lessons from scratch every week. However, you still need to figure out how to adapt the curriculum in your context. And that can still, it takes a little bit of time to do that. Now to some of us, that's really obvious, but to a few of us, Honestly, it's helpful just to have good, reasonable expectations. Jen also talked about how curriculum can help us get high-quality lessons with good teaching and good questions, especially if you've not had a lot of time to spend working through theological questions or seminary or you don't read a ton. This can be a real lifesaver. In fact, I've got two theology degrees, and I still occasionally am challenged by uh, curriculum. So it's good to have a well-researched tool just dropped into your lap. And what is dropped into your lap exactly? Actually, Jen had a lot of helpful tips on how to adapt curriculum well for your church. Everyone's church is different, of course. Knowing how to adjust a curriculum, how to pick the questions that will work better for your youth, how to avoid the game your youth will hate, how to land the plane well in a way that will be meaningful to your youth. All that stuff takes time.
We're doing three episodes on teaching well here at Youth Ministry Small Church this season. Most of us will start with curriculum in our youth ministries. That's probably smart. But taking the lessons from Terry last week, Jen Bradbury this week, and Jen Jakes next week will help us to use these curriculums in a way that helps our youth, that fosters discipleship. All right, everybody, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope this is this is becoming helpful to you, this little mini-series we're doing on Teaching Well. Um, and remember, we started a Facebook group that can be helpful in building community. I was just thinking about how much I've depended on the other youth workers in my life who I can turn to for help with questions and problems and stuff like that. I hope our Facebook group can be that for you. Uh, tell other people about our podcast and what we're doing and leave us reviews on iTunes. We could use all the help we can get so other folks can find us. And I will see you next week. Thank you.